Hello and welcome to Game Over Vancouver. I am your host today. I'm Samantha Chang. You can find me on Twitter at SamanthaCP underscore. Um, and I am joined by repeating guest, Lachlan Irvine, uh, at Lock in the Crease on Twitter. Make sure you go follow him if you haven't already. Thanks for joining us, Lachlan. As the Canucks lose for the first time ever to the Seattle Kraken, 6-1 whipping in Seattle. How are you doing after watching that game? Um, I am tired from just from like just from watching that game. It made me very exhausted. Uh, I drank about two cups of coffee before doing this just because I I knew I was going to need it. Like it it was God. It was a it was a game that went downhill so fast. And just by the by like what, like 10 minutes into the game, you kind of were already like, well, we know how this yeah. is going to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before we jump into breaking down the game, I'm going to give a shout out to our sponsor. Think you know what way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live and play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN 19 plus. Please play responsibly. So like we've pointed out, they lose 6-1. It's 2-0 by the 10-minute mark of the first period. And it goes rapidly downhill from there. I think Jared McCann had a three or four point night. Um, you know, he just routinely comes back to bite them in the butt every time. Uh, what stood out to you about the game tonight? I mean, just I think the immediate thing that I look at is just how much faster the Kraken are. Like, this is a team that, you know, last year, obviously, they were they were an okay team. Like they like they finished dead last in the Pacific, I I believe. But it wasn't really so much for a lack of talent or a lack of like ability. It it kind of came down to a lot of one goal games getting let where the goaltending would kind of just run into the ground at the very at the very worst possible time for them. And but now this year, they've kind of not only have all their players kind of taken a step forward and that like that strategy is kind of like melding back into into an actual team. They're also getting they're also getting the goaltending now from Martin Jones of all places, which yeah. I'm which I'm thrilled for because I love I love Martin Jones when he was a Martin shark. Jones really, from the North Shore. Exactly. I once I once uh, I actually once walked past him down in, in like Gastown at one point, like during the season. And oh, that's only, awesome. The only the only way I realized it was him is because I was because he happened to be carrying a Sharks jersey for some like somebody he was meeting or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then I realized it was him like, oh, that's why that six foot four man has a Sharks jersey just tucked in his tucked on under his arm. Um, He's having but- an outrageous resurgence this season. Like I did not expect Martin Jones to still be able to pull out a season like this. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, um, in San Jose, there was a big, I remember when he started, to, when the wheel started to come off for him and it came down, a lot of it came down to, uh, the goalie coach at the time for the Sharks was trying to kind of teach him a new strategy and kind of put it and put a different kind of thing into place. And it just wasn't working. It just clearly, like clearly his, his, um, any sort of like momentum and confidence he had was just going downhill over the course of the season because the, whatever they were trying to implement it into his game just was not working. And I think Philadelphia, and when he went to Philadelphia to be like Carter Hart's backup, I think they also have had some like tough times when it comes to like keeping goaltenders, like able to like play at a consistent pace and a consistent level over the course of a year, like Carter Carter Hart being one of those guys and Seattle 
seems like suddenly seems to be doing very well, like on that goaltending front. It's working. Whatever they got going over there for him, I don't know who their goalie coach is, but it, it's working for him. Yeah. Uh, speaking of goaltending, Spencer Martin gets ventilated uh, again. And, you know, I, I see him taking a lot of flack on from fans saying, you know, he, he's just not good enough to be a starter. I mean, he's doing I think both Martin and Dealey are doing the best they can in the circumstances. What's your view on both of those goaltenders and how much of it is on them not stepping up enough or just not being good enough? Obviously, I'm not expecting them to be Demko, but how much of it is also just this is a poor defensive team? I mean, I think it is a little bit, I think it's a little bit of everything for them. Like, I do think that, like, I understand why, like, some people are like, oh, hey, the goaltending needs to step up and play a little better. But again, but at the same time, like, you're right that in the fact of, the fact is, like, neither Spencer Martin or Colin Delia is, was, has been built to be an NHL starter and to play at that kind, not just at that kind of pace and consistent pace, but to be able to, again, like take play behind a team that has such a porous defense that they have to bail out the team consistently. And even tonight, like in a game where they lost six to one and, you know, you look at the save percentage and it looks really, and it looks not like 829, not great, right? But then you look back at like some of the clips from that game, like the highlights of that game, and you'll see like how many different like breakaways he had to stop, how many different odd man rushes he got in front of like the, the the quality of the shots that teams like the Kraken are getting against the Canucks and their goalies is routinely difficult and very like it's 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 so abundantly clear that they're doing the best they can like it's not like Martin and Delia are letting in a boatload of like soft shots over the blue line kind of thing right like they're very clearly getting into these cases where there's like major traffic in front or they're just be or they're just getting hounded by shot after shot after shot like early in this game yeah and it's 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 they're doing the absolute best they can like you're so right on that on that front the problem again comes back to the whole issue where the Canucks have essentially built a team that absolutely needs to have Vesna caliber goaltending to win anything and if they don't get it they're they're screwed and that's what, and we saw that with Demko, like people were turning on Demko before he got in hurt as well because of the same thing. Like suddenly as his confidence was starting to kind of dip at the wrong time, uh, there was no, there's no safety net. And that's kind of a, that's the thing I've talked about before is just how, you know, on other teams, like wh- when your goaltender b- has a bad night, your team can usually bail them out of that one game and make it just a one-off. Right. And make it so that it's like they don't overthink about it and like be like, ah, you know, I blew this game for my team kind of deal. Right. Yeah. Whereas here there is that 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 safety net just doesn't exist for a goalie. So if they have a bad night, it's going to a thousand percent affect them on the score sheet and it's going to and it might fester into an issue as it goes along. And I think that's kind of what happened with Demko as well. Yeah, I think that's all perfectly said. I know Jeff Patterson pointed out that early in the game, the Kraken had 85% of expected goals. And at one point before it was 5 nothing, he said scoring chances are 23-2 for the Kraken. No joke. And I think anytime the stats are that tilted, it's pretty rough. I I see that uh, Robert, our, our number one moderator, says Sloan said hi. I apologize if you can hear my child screaming in the back she is having an absolute meltdown um much like the canucks very on brand sloan's an early early adopter of canuck fandom 
she's she's learning very quick what it, yeah. what it's like to what like that that her 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 screaming is just uh her getting as upset as we are about yeah. the defensive structure she, she's just getting she's just getting ready for a lifetime of misery yep um the canucks give up five goals i know uh her dev lad on twitter pointed out it was the 21st time this season that they gave up five goals uh, that I was actually surprised. I thought it was more than that. I feel like it's been more times than that. Twenty one seems low, um, but yeah. it, it's apparently the twenty first time they've given up five goals or more. Yeah, and you know, it. I think it's. I, I think it's pretty safe to say though that uh, you know Rick Tockett has completely fixed the Canucks. There's nothing wrong with them anymore. <laughs> uh, okay, like in all seriousness, like again, this is kind of why the you know. I, I mean, we've talked about this before, where it's like you know. Like, and I talked about it tonight where it was like, you know, I don't think co- where coaching is clearly not the issue here. Like, I, again, like, I don't think there was anything Rick Tockett did tonight that was particularly, like, atrocious or anything like that to get them stuck in a 6-1 game. But it, it's so painfully clear that, like, the last two coaches here in the last, in, like, under the, in, like, a calendar year, just over a calendar year, there's not much to work with. There's only so much you can do. And uh, like tonight, like the big example for me was looking at uh, that Oliver Bjorkstrand, Yanni Gord, uh, Eli Tolvanen line. Like Tolvanen, by the way, who they got on waivers, who the yeah. Canucks could have easily claimed off yeah. waivers as well, didn't. Uh, and uh, he has been found money for the Kraken just immediately. Um, that line just kept dominating every single time they were on the ice, like their ability to turn the puck back up the other way and make, and like make a scoring chance out of nowhere was insane. And like the, the Canucks just had no counter, especially on defense. Like they just don't have the guys who, who can keep up at that pace for a 60 minute game. And until you have that, and until you have that on offense and defense, you're not going to win a lot of games, especially against as the, the league trends towards like younger and faster hockey. Yeah. And that was the other thing that, you know, we'll, we'll swing back into the Rick Tockett uh, topic in our second segment. So if you are with us and you know somebody who is going to want to talk about Rick Tockett, make sure you send them the link to this stream. Um, for me, the thing that really stood out this game was how much faster than the Canucks, the Kraken are. Like, it was astonishing how fast they are. Yep. That's, that speed is something that I have been begging to see from the Canucks more. Like, I've been absolutely begging for them to pick up guys who, not, you, they don't necessarily have to be the most talented guys. Like, you just make a conscious effort to try and find more speed to put in your lineup, especially in like the bottom six and in like spots where you know you're going to be seeing some of the like the faster guys in the league like you're playing in a division against it with Connor McDavid for God's sakes like you need to be able to have guys who at the very least have the legs to kind of stay to, to stay close and to be able to kind of strip a guy of the puck if they need to and you know that's why like that's why like for someone like Ilya Mikheyev is such a breath of fresh air when he's able to kind of get going. Like when he's, when he's going at full speed, it's incredible to watch and it shouldn't be such a, like, it shouldn't be so exciting to see Ilya Mikheyev like turn on the jets. If you get what I'm saying, right. Where, because he's the only guy who really has that kind of speed going for him on the Canucks. Like Patterson obviously can go pretty quick. You've got some other guys who can too. But no one, but there's just, the Canucks just aren't a fast team by any any stretch. No, no. 
And until, and again, they're playing in a division that's really, that's full of teams that are incredibly young, that have a lot more durability and are going to be able to kind of play in marathon games, stay in marathon games a lot longer. The Canucks just don't have those horses and they haven't for eight, nine years now. They just never have been a quick team and they really need to get there. Yeah, I mean, I think other than Mikhail, the only player who's really been known for their speed in the last decade is probably Jake Rattan. And there are a whole host of other issues there, obviously, besides yeah. the speed. Um, yeah. Okay, we're going to shift into our second segment. Uh, if you are with us, thanks for joining. I'm Samantha Chang. You can find me at SamanthaCP underscore. I'm joined by Lachlan Irvine at Lock in the Crease, um, writes for Canucks Army and does all the best gifts of the game on Twitter. So make sure you follow him and obviously follow at SDPN Sports. Um, make sure you share the link for this. If anybody wants to come talk in the chat and have a little group therapy, we are going to talk about Rick Tockett. And I am not for once going to rehash the issue of how Bruce Boudreaux was fired. I think uh, there's been plenty of coverage about that. Everyone knows how it went down. What I want to talk about is... After having watched the first two games, um, I, I don't know if we can qualify uh, beating the Chicago Blackhawks as a new coach bump, because I think that's pretty much the lowest bar in the league is beating the Chicago Blackhawks. But after watching the Blackhawks game and the cracking game tonight, what do you think is going through Rick Tockett's mind and how is he going to fix this team? Oh, God, what what is going through his head? I mean... I, it, it's got to be just a, it's got to be just like a, you know, I could be at TNT right now. I could be sitting behind it. I could be <laughs> sitting behind a desk right now and talking about, whoa, the Canucks are sure bad, huh? Instead of having to be the guy to solve that issue. Um, I've, I've made a huge tiny mistake. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, there, I, yeah, yeah it is. God, I, I, again, I feel kind of like, I feel very bad for Rick Tockett, like in the sense of like, you know, that first game, first of all, that the first game against Chicago, I got to get I got to I got to talk about this. The like apparently like they introduced him and the new coaching staff like Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar to the crowd. And I don't know, like like I again, I think it's unfair to boo Rick Tockett on game one yeah. before he's even coached a game. Like at least give him let him let him see what let's see what he can do before going there. But God, who set them up? For that like who like that's a that's a that's such a stab in the back whoever yeah. let that through and thought that was gonna go well i don't know what they were thinking there um but yeah like with the the game against chicago yeah it's so painfully obvious that chicago has really has done their homework on how to tank and they understand the assignment to get connor bedard yes they absolutely understand the assignment there's a reason a guy showed up at that game last night with a professionally stitched Adidas Connor Bedard jersey, right? Like, cause he knows what he, he knows what th that the end of the rainbow is there and he can see the pot of gold, uh, but I mean, it's easier. It's easier for Chicago fans to accept that when they've been through that, the tank before and you netted Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and three cups. Like it's a yeah. lot easier to sell that. And God, tell me about, let's like talk about a team that really needs a break. The Chicago Blackhawks really God. have had a, They've had such a hard go that they really deserve this. No. Um, yeah, they that like I think talk from what talk it has done so far. Again, it's so early. I I I don't really I don't want to get I, again. I feel very 
I have a hard time really harping on anything in particular yeah. that he's done so far because again, it's like the it's the in same three thing days. In, in three days. It's been three days. And again, it's the same thing that Boudreaux dealt with. It's the same thing that Travis Green dealt with. It's that like, you know, again, there's only so much you can do with this roster. They've they've handed basically the same roster to three different coaches, two of which have more or less pretty similar styles of coaching and early on like like you saw tonight like this is what happens when you put the Canucks up against a team that's actually in the playoff hunt and actually yeah. has a a real shot at not maybe not winning winning a cup yet but at the very least doing some damage when they get there and the Canucks just could not hang with them the entire time and again there was nothing about that game that I pick out where I'm like oh this is particularly atrocious that the that what Rick Tockett has done here and like uh I think it was I think I think like the Wyatt was posting some pictures of just like the way the Canucks were missing like checking assignments and everything but and but he wasn't phrasing it like that was a a new thing he was phrasing it like this is something they've been doing the entire year this is a completely more than the entire year more than the entire year yeah like this is a completely old problem that again I think he, he can do the best he can I do think that my big concern with Tockett is just that I think that his coaching style is more inherently, uh, it it might inherently make it harder for the Canucks to score, which is kind of their one, their, their main issue. I mean, tonight they only got one goal. Um, but again, I don't really know if that was a, I don't know how much of that would have changed if Boudreaux was coaching, for example. Uh, but like, yeah, like that's my big, my big concern long-term is just, okay, if you're going to go in more and sacrifice offense for defense to try and, uh, play a more aggressive style in your own end, how much is that going to impact your ability to put the puck in the net? Absolutely. I am totally on the same page before I give you guys my talk to take. There's just some really great comments in the chats. I want to shout them out. Uh, I asked, what do you think is going through Rick Tockett's head? And here are the suggestions. Just incredible says, get me the hell out of here. (laughs) uh succinct yeah it was great see edits tnt take me back and then just incredible with another another great contribution i'd rather re-coach arizona (laughs) and i i don't think that's wrong i think that you know if my biggest concern with rick Tockett is to your point that he absolutely dries up the offense like people think about that arizona team that he coached as being a bad roster it's not nearly as bad as you thought it was they had taylor hall they had Phil Kessel. They had Clayton Keller, whose offense has really taken off under Andrew Torini. And I think you're right. Like, there's only so much you can get out of this Canucks team defensively. Like, you look at that blue line, and there is only so much they can do. If just if Rutherford is selling us this idea that, you know, it's because they're not healthy. Like, sorry, Tucker Pullman is not going to be a game breaker for you. And if he is, there is a bigger problem. And so to me, like, to the extent that you're going to end up drying up whatever offense Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson have had, which is really the only source of joy we have right now. I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's going to make these games even less watchable than they have been. Yeah. I'm yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's the big concern. Like my, like, yeah, for me, I, 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 we've talked about this before, I believe, but like, you know, I remember watching the talk at coyotes and my takeaway whenever they played the Canucks was oh my god this is the most boring game i've ever seen please please end this now so i can go to bed like and and it was in 
like them and the Islanders, like those teams, they would play this just suffocating style that were like low shots on goal, all just basically hanging in there to a degree where they're just like letting the other team just pummel them with shots, relying on Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta to be amazing. Um, and then, you know, and, uh, you know, where, yeah, you mentioned Clayton Keller, like Keller was one of those, was your, uh, I talked about in the article I wrote, uh, yesterday, uh, where it was like, uh, where under talk it, like his, his, uh, his numbers were not all that eye popping really. Like they were very pedestrian over like long stretches of t- over his four years being coached by talk And then all of a sudden, like you said, under Torini, like, uh, suddenly, his numbers shot right up and are way better than they ever were under, under Rick Tockett. And that's my big concern with a guy with like, obviously, yeah, like Patterson, like Horvat for however long he's here for Kuzmenko for however long he's here for like all those guys. Like it's, it's very much a, well, their whole thing is scoring. What are you going, what's going to happen here when, when you have, when you're forcing them to kind of like stay back and not, not maybe make that aggressive pinch that they would have under say a Boudreaux or something. And remember that was the thing that got Travis green fired as well was trying that exact same system where they would just, where they tried to pull back the offense to try and uh, it, it for the, to try and help on D and it, they lost a bunch of games and then he got fired. And yeah, like I, that's my, that's what I've seen like being a real like worry so far. I'm not necessarily there yet, but you know, I haven't seen anything there yet to, to get to that point, but uh, there's that. And then also the, uh, the, like the penalty kill, like the Tockets penalty kill was actually very good in Arizona, but like to kind of bring it full circle back to the personnel thing, he had Nicholas Jalmerson, who is like one of the best defenders in, in the NHL when it came to his like advanced stats. And uh, I believe Jason Demers was also there who also had really good numbers. Like they had a, the, some of their de- like defenders that the defenders they had at that time were really good at one thing. And that was defending. They might not have been great goal scorers, but they could, they could play very well in their own end and play a suffocating D uh, to a T. And he also that's had OEL at his peak. Not yeah. now. Yeah, uh, exactly. And yeah, like he had all, he had a lot better pieces, maybe just not as say heralded as other teams had. Like he never necessarily, he might not have had a lot up until like, you know, Taylor Hall and Phil Castle. He might not have had a lot of like star power, like, or like brand, I should say brand name. Cause Clayton Keller is a very good player. And like Jacob Chikrin was all is very yeah. good as well. Like they, they didn't have a lot of name brand guys. Uh, and when they did, it didn't, help much like they got to a they got to the bubble playoffs like the Canucks did but then immediately just got trounced by the avalanche when they came up against a real opponent so it was like okay well you know you can only do so much again if the team like but uh the Coyotes were a team that like had a little bit more potential and are maybe finding it now uh to a degree uh but yeah I don't know how much talk it's gonna do to really fix a system that's that's something that's broken beyond repair and like clearly not his fault to begin with at some point you know assuming he does everything right and he gets the most out of them there's only so much you can get out of the roster is is my view and i'm happy happy to be wrong um if that's the case but that's that's where i'm at i genuinely think i know everyone else has made this joke but you could throw adam foot and sergey gonchar on this blue line and they'd probably make the top four at this point 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, and, you know, like for even for like the great players that they have, like Quinn Hughes, like Quinn Hughes is only there's only so there's only so great a defensive player that you can make Quinn Hughes, right? Like there's a limit to what these players are able to do. And the problem and the problem is for like a lot of the guys behind like like Quinn Hughes uh, that there there's just they've already are kind of there like the cake's already baked you can't really there's not really anything else you can add there without you know comp- without changing changing the personnel like in making actual serious roster moves they're yeah. not they're clearly not one piece away or one coach away they're clearly a bunch of steps back and they really need to figure that out sooner rather than later all right. Speaking of personnel and making different moves, we are going to move into our third segment. Um, if you're still with us, thanks for joining us. I'm Samantha. Uh, Canucks lose 6-1 tonight to the Kraken. First loss to the Kraken. I'm joined by at Lock in the Crease on Twitter. Make sure you go follow him and follow at SDPN. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the SDPN channel on YouTube, make sure you hit subscribe and hit like uh, for the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, if you have thoughts you want to talk about, always feel free to throw them in the chat, especially in the third segment. That's when I like to mix it up. But what I want to talk about in the third is kind of pivot a bit. We are just over the midway season, midway mark of the season. And the talk around Kuzmenko and Horvat seems to have switched from they're, they're having serious talks for Bo Horvat they're, or teams interested. I think last week they were floating. Maybe he goes to the Bruins. And this week, it seems to have switched a bit more to like, are we going to keep Bo Horvat? Which in classic Canucks fashion is uh, sell, low, sell low and buy high. <laughs> they Just- can't get out of their own way. And I think they're going to probably do the same thing with Kuzmenko, although I can see the argument for keeping Kuzmenko a lot more than I can see the argument for keeping Horvat. Where are you at on these stories and what do you think they should do? I mean... I okay like I've made it I've made it very clear on Twitter over the last like god since like not e- basically October really how much I want the Canucks to chase Connor Bedard like I really want Connor Bedard uh for for I really want to, what I want is to see Canucks fans get to experience Connor Bedard and get the opportunity to actually get excited about a team again um, you're not going to be bad enough they're not. They, I mean, listen. There's the. There's a lottery. There's still like if you can lose just enough, you, maybe you can't outlose Chicago. You can probably outlose Columbus and and Anaheim if you really put the effort in. I think. I. I mean, at least I think based on a six-one loss tonight, like tonight. Um, but either way, I think where the Canucks are at, I think the best course of action right now is to trade both you got i think you got as much as i here's the thing if there wasn't already a bunch of money on the table like it let's say the miller contract's not there for example and we were just talking about oh do you want to re-sign horvat yeah yeah let's go for it why not because he's your he's your captain he's your longest tenured player why not keep him around but because the miller contract's there because the oel contract's there because there is so much money on the books that you are not getting rid of anytime soon there's no the if any contract extension you give to Bo is going to pretty much take over every all every last dollar you have to improve the team next year. Like there's just, there's just no way you can improve the team seriously 
next season from what they are now with whatever you'd have left after a Horvat extension or like really even a Kuzmenko extension for that matter, especially if it's like a, you know, if it's uh, if it ends up being uh, as high as it looks at the, at this point right now. Right. So I, I just think the best course of action for them right now is to just sell them is to sell high on these guy on these guys to get, try and get back as many prospects and draft picks as you can. Don't be looking for roster players. Like, cause that's been the big talking point as well yeah. is how many is the, is that they want roster players back, which is inherently dumb because no team is going to give you an upgrade for Bo Horvat when you trade them Bo Horvat. Yeah, I mean, so, if you want a roster player, you keep him. Yeah. Yeah. You either, which, which like, you know, like you consider him your rental, like that's how it goes. Like there you're, it would be so backwards to think that, oh, you're going to somehow manage to work your way into an upgrade from a, on a, from a, a playoff team that needs every, that wants your player specifically to bolster the group they already have, that they're going to also just give you one of the guy, one of those guys back. Right. Yeah. One of those like game changers, uh, unless you're ridiculously getting ridiculously low value for a player than you should. Um, like, yeah, the, the prospects and draft picks you're going to get for him, for Kuzmenko, for Shen are going to be so much more valuable to you than any sort of roster guy is going to be. Absolutely. I, and you're yeah. getting a lot of agreement in the chat. We've got Lauren saying it will be devastating to lose Bo. He's the heart and soul of the team. And I just love him. That being said, we absolutely have to trade him or find a time machine and not sign JT. Lauren, I hope you find that time machine. Like, please. Uh, Peter yeah. Wynn says, got to sell high this year, get Get the assets at the deadline, start over fresh, get a top five to 10 pick. You have PD and Hughes, Demko. You have put Colson and Hoglander and Abbotsford, and then you go from there. And then a great point from Nanya. What's confusing about the roster player situation is they have to have a combined AAV less than Horvat, which yep. is absolutely true. And so I, I think the baffling thing to me is like, it is so obvious to the fans and so this idea that, oh, we can't have a rebuild. We can't sell that to the fans. You've been doing that for 10 years. You've been trying to sell something else, but actually just having a terrible rebuild and just sucking anyway. Like you might as well pitch it as an actual plan. The fans are clearly informed enough to understand what's happening here. Like stop pretending like it's it's because we can't accept a rebuild. Like we understand what's happening here. What I don't understand is how we can all see this and... Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin go out and say, you know, like it's been more difficult than we expected to unravel the cap situation. And then you turn around and you sign that JT Miller extension. Like, yeah. that's what I want you to explain to me, not a rebuild. I understand the rebuild. I want you to rebuild. I am dying, begging you to rebuild. Yes. And again, yeah, it's the, it's, it, it's, it seems like there, it seems pretty obvious at this point that like, oh, the, like there, there is the amount of people people that don't want to rebuild in this market is maybe one person there is probably one person left who doesn't want who doesn't want to rebuild and the problem is they're the person who has the most say in this situation so you're kind of cooked until until that person changes their mind and and the issue then that's kind of where we're at at this point like the like and that's kind of why you're seeing it. It seems like, you know, it wouldn't be all that out of like nowhere to see like suddenly Horvat get a contract extension. Like, I mean, oh, again, we're already seeing the situation where it's like, oh, they're not letting teams talk to him about an extension even, which is wild. 
which which is wild when you're trying to get as much value out of a player as you possibly can in a trade. It just kind of is one of those like, are, do you actually want to trade him, or are you still trying to get him to sign to to stay here for a certain amount of money? And yeah, like I again, I just don't really get the point of like trying to run keep running it back with the same team over and over again. It's clearly hasn't worked the last three years. It's not going to work the fourth. You're not going to be able to improve on what you've got. It's just uh, it's it's like it. I understand that like it's you know that it's hard to get every to get people like to really buy into the idea of like hey we're gonna be purposely bad for a while here, but you're already really bad by accident like you're already so bad by accident wouldn't you at least like like it to be kind of like to have some semblance of yes but we knew this would this would happen right like that's why things like chicago are such a jarring thing right yeah like a plan where because it's like because yeah like chicago has clearly made a plan of we're gonna tank we're gonna finish as low as we can and we're gonna get a high draft pick for it um and so the fact that whereas the canucks are like are getting stuck in close games against them without being without trying to be that bad. It doesn't oh, make God. any there's no benefit to trying to finish to try and go for like as high as you can in the standings right now. There's yeah. just and there isn't. frankly what they should be doing is if you want to even get close to how bad Chicago is going to be and try to be actually in the Connor Bedard race you should be trading Kuzmenko and Bo Horvat as soon as possible before their offense starts to dry up under a defensive system run by Rick Tockett. And frankly, the sooner you trade them and the less firepower you have, the more likely you are to lose out. And yeah. I know that's like a really depressing way to take it, but like if you look at what Connor Bedard is doing in the WHL right now, how do you not try for that? God, like again, I all I think about is how cool it would be to see him and Patterson playing on the same on the yeah. same line together. And yeah. just the the magic of that. Like, I mean, today there was that, like and a, also not seeing him play with Trevor Zegers, not seeing him play exactly. Yes, that too, or like Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Like, God, there's yeah, I'm because like there was today even like him talking. Like, I think he was the top prospects game is in Langley. Um, and, uh, I think in an interview today, he even talked about how, like, he was super, Bedard was like super starstruck because he met the Sedins. Like the kid wants to, the kid would love to be here. He's like somewhere he has that John Tavares Maple Leafs pajama photo, but like with the Canucks. Yes. He a thousand percent does like there, you'd be crazy not to, to think, to think he doesn't like it's, it's so, oh, he would, that's, and that's the painful part is it. It would line up so perfectly for them. It's if, like too good of a story for it to happen for the Canucks. That's where I'm at with this franchise is like, yeah, just a lifetime of like having hopelessness beat into yeah. me. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I've like ha- tried to really, as I try to like, you know, trying to get people on board with like, or at least more comfortable with a rebuild. It's like, I, you know, there's also the fact of like, even if you even if you manage to say lose both lotteries, let's say you still end up with third overall and yeah. you're going to get one of Adam Fentilli or Mitchkoff. Like there's just no, like it's a win-win scenario to finish in that. Like there's a lot of great guys down there who will be absolute game changers for yeah. you right out of the gate. If you, if you lose, if you lose out. So it's not, and it's, it's not like he's the only guy down yeah, there. Exactly. Oh, so there's, and yeah. So like where the Canucks are at, like the sooner you, you make the decision as a team that this that's the direction you need to go in the shorter amount of time 
you end up in a painful situation of losing a lot of games. And like they've tried it their way. And here we are eight years later where the team is nowhere is just as bad as they were before. Like it, it, it doesn't make any sense not to try and go for the nuclear nuclear option at this point. All right. If you're still with us, thanks for joining us. I want to end the night with Robert's incredible line. He says, tired is Connor Baduck. Wired is Connor Canuck. And I think that's the attitude that we should all adopt for the rest of the season. Oh, a thousand percent. I've, I've been, I've been post, I've been, whenever I do the stanchies, I've been putting Connor Bedard highlights in there just to like it. Like, I know I shouldn't be like, you're just like, I know I should selling it to people. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't be tempting people over it, but like at the same time, it's like, this is what we, this is what we should be. This is the, this is the prize guys. This is the real prize. Oh man. All right. If you are still with us, the Canucks lose 6-1 to the Kraken for the first time tonight. Uh, They play the Blue Jackets on Friday. We'll see if Rick Tockett can give himself a winning record with his new team. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you on Friday.